Well, welcome to the Vineyard. Welcome to week three of this sermon series that we're in. Um, new, new Year, New Heart. And you say, well, there, this is only the second Sunday. How can it be New Year, New Heart? Well, we started early. It was okay. Um, our word for the day, um, excuse me, for the year that we believe um, every, every uh, year, at the beginning of the year, I spend time crying out to God and say, Lord, what is our uh, word for the year? And so this year it is stand up. And so we are going to talk about the idea of standing up. But as you go into this new uh, year, honestly, everything that we're going to be doing is going to be for a new you, a new heart. Um, the Lord said through um, the prophet Ezekiel, I will take from you a heart of stone and I will give you a new heart, a heart of flesh. And so we're saying, God, I need you to change me. And we're doing that. And we are going into this, this new year um, just hair on fire. We are just racing into it. We we are already working on a church plant in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, we've got some people that are talking about that now. We're already uh, making phone calls. Um, we're already talking um, to the leadership that be, and you're going to hear more about that as it comes. And, and uh, I'm just excited about the way this year is beginning all of a sudden. And, and I, I want to encourage you today. We're going to talk about standing up, okay? We're going to talk about standing up for what is right, and we're going to talk, talk about standing up for respect, okay? We, we need to stand up for respect. So um, let's, you know, how do I say? Well, sometimes I keep, I don't want to confuse you. The idea of standing up is sometimes you've got to stand up for what's right. Sometimes you have to stand up against an oppressive thing. But listen to me, sometimes you've got to stand up for what you've done with all due respect. I love you as your pastor, but sometimes we have to stand up and own it before we can be healed from it so that we can be forgiven. And we're going to talk about that. And I want to show you something here. Um, and, but, but I want to talk about love. I want to talk about you. How do you love yourself? It's just all like last service was just like crazy. Wow, God. And so we're going to see what happens now. I want to invite you to turn to the 16th chapter of the book of Acts in your Bible if you brought one. I'm going to be working out of this thing. I've been working out of this faithful book for quite a while. This particular one, you can see it's getting a little tired, but I like tired Bibles. I like, ti I like Bibles. Um, that's just a business card. You know who I am. Don't worry about it. Um, I like Bibles that have been used. I like Bibles that people are in. I like Bibles when I see writing in my Bible from before, um, and I can see what my thoughts were and ask God for new things. But I want you to know the scripture will always show up on the screens, and I want you to know that you can find this exact same scripture on you version on your smartphone. Or maybe you came in here with an iPad and you're happy, one of those guys, you know, little technical people that just loves to type on an iPad. I am, I'm fine with that. I'm going to use a Bible. I'm going to use this particular uh, one right here, and I'm going to look at the 16th chapter of the book of Acts. Now, the 16th chapter of the book of Acts. Let me just lay you a little groundwork here. 16th chapter of book of Acts is where Luke actually joins Paul as he's explaining the growth of the church as Jesus has ascended to heaven. Okay? In the 16th chapter, Luke wrote the book of Acts. He also wrote one other book called Luke. Yes, what a guy. What an incredible title, you know, Luke. Okay? There's his account of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
He wrote the, the book of Luke to a guy named Theophilus. Actually, he was O great Theophilus, which means he had a political position. This is written to just Theophilus, which means he lost his political position. So now he's writing to Luke, and he's, ta- um, and, and, excuse me, he's writing to Theophilus, and Luke is sharing with them that in the 16th chapter of, of the book of Luke um, that he joined them. And you can see that, read that part for yourself. But let's just understand, Paul is on a missionary journey. Okay, He's with a guy named Silas, and he, he really, really desperately wants to preach the gospel in Asia. That's his whole goal. I want to preach the gospel in Asia. Let us go that I might preach the gospel in Asia. So he's going to leave Jerusalem. He's going to head north, and he's going to turn right. And he's going to go to a, a, a people that he's probably never spoken to in his life, and he's going to go over to Asia. He's going to preach the gospel. Problem is, he heads up north, and he gets up there, and um, he says, and the Spirit, Luke says this, the Spirit kept us from going into Asia. We could not go into Asia. The Lord slammed the door, broke their, their wagon down, blew up the radiator in their, you know, their chariot. I don't know what he did, okay? But he shut things down. And Paul understood immediately, we're not going to Asia. And that night he went to sleep, and being a spiritually sensitive man that he is, he had a dream. And in that dream, there was a man over in Macedonia. It's a region over towards Greece. And this man over there, um, towards Greece, um, uh, okay, um, he's over there, and he says, come over here. Come over here. In, in Paul's dream, he sees this man. He says, come over here. And so Paul wakes up and he says, guys, we're going to turn left instead of right. We're going over there. And he goes over there and he ends up planting a church. So they're over in the region of Philippi. And so they're over there. And that's where this story takes place. Now, I'm just going to give you a whole lot of story because I want to read. I don't want to read the whole chapter of the book of Acts, but I want to read from 35 on. But let me just lay it all out for you, okay? In this chapter um, that Luke is writing, they have gone to Philippi and, and, and Paul's going to preach the gospel. So he gets up and he goes down to where he thinks there's probably going to be some people praying or a prayer meeting of some sort. Okay, And it just so happens that there's a girl there. And this girl has a demonic spirit inside of her. And this demonic spirit can tell the future. It can prophesy. It can speak things. It can tell what's coming. It can tell what is. It can tell what's gone by. So she has this, and it's a girl. Specifically, she's described as a girl. And she's a slave. And she's owned by two men. And she's making them a lot of money prophesying and telling people their futures. And they are getting rich off of this girl. And Paul shows up and he's going to go preach the gospel. And suddenly this little girl decides that she's going to follow Paul around. And all she's going to do is make his life miserable. This is what's going to happen. She follows him around and all she does day and night, it says she followed him for many days, okay? For not just for a day, not for two days. She followed them for many days. And she just screamed, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. So Paul comes into town. He's going to plant a church. He's going to tell people about Jesus. They're going to surrender their lives, and and it's going to be great. And behind him, as he walks around, remember, there's a whole entourage, not just Paul. We know there's Paul. We know there's Timothy. We know there's Luke, and we know there's a bunch of other people with them. And as they're walking around, going to find people to witness to, this girl's saying, these people, they're here to tell you how to get saved. They're servants of the Most High God. Now, not a bad testimony if you're a Christian person. And you're going to tell people how to get saved. 
Somebody is screaming bloody murder. Somebody that the community knows is a prophet uh, or has a demon inside of her that prophesies and, and, and testifying to the truth. I'm going to tell you the truth. People are going to get saved. That's great for an hour. That's a great for an hour and a half. But day after day after day, these people are servants of the Most High God. They're going to tell you how to get saved. These people are servants of the Most High. Pretty soon you want to turn around and throttle her. Don't you? I have to assume, I have to assume that Paul had some, you know, level-headed people in his entourage. Or we learn something about Paul himself, that he is one of the most long-suffering, because this went on for days, many days this went on, and he allowed it. Or he kept trying to reach out and throttle her, and Timothy or Luke said, listen, better heads need to prevail here. Don't do that. It will not go well for us. I have somebody in my life like that, somebody in my household that says, listen, take a deep breath. You're going to be fine. It's not about you. And that was going on with Paul. And so this woman is screaming and screaming. And so um, as we do this, Paul finally has had enough, and he turns around, and he rebukes the demon inside of this woman, and it leaves immediately, and suddenly she's normal. I went into the ministry almost 27 years ago. I surrendered my life to Jesus back in 1977. Actually, I accepted Jesus back in 1977. And growing up in a dark place, I used to say, God, why couldn't I have been born into a normal family? Why couldn't my family be normal? And then, 27 years into ministry, there's no such thing as normal. You people are whack, okay? <laughs> you are whack. There is no such thing as normal. I left last service and somebody said, normal is a setting on your dryer. It's like, that is the, that is the absolute truth, okay? Some people, they're, they're, they're more normal or less normal or a different kind of normal. Or, there is no such thing as normal. However, this young lady didn't have a demon anymore, which would be pretty normal, okay? She did not have a demon anymore. Therefore, she could not prophesy anymore. Wait, it gets worse. She could not make her master money because she was a slave by prophesying people's futures. And if you don't think that made her owners, forgive me for saying it that way, but her owners angry, it made them angry. And they caused a great disturbance. And, and they rallied the troops. And these people were, were pushing and shoving and beating on Paul and Silas. And then pretty soon the magistrates come down. They're like, what's up? And so they say, these people are, are preaching something that is wrong for Roman citizens. No, absolutely not. So they snatch Paul and Silas. They strip them down. They tie them to posts and they take the whips and they beat them and they beat them severely, beat them severely and then they take them to the prison they put them in the middle of the prison they don't just put them in prison, they go from the prison to the middle of the prison they put them in the center of the prison and then they put them in stocks feet locked up, hands locked up neck locked up and then they set a, a guard around them and so at midnight, they are in the prison. They are suffering for Jesus. They have been beaten on their backs. And don't you know they're just down there screaming, God, you've got to get us out of here. I didn't sign up for this. Isn't that how we would do? The Lord let them go through all of that? No, at midnight, 
they were down there in the inner prison in stocks no lights I know that because of what comes after this no lights and they were having a pulse service they were worshiping they were singing hey everybody kumbaya my lord I mean I don't know what songs they sang back then but they are singing their hearts out. They are worshiping God. They are excited, as Paul will say in one of his epistles, that he got to bear the beatings and the marks of Jesus on his back. And at one point he says, finish out the suffering of Christ on this earth. That's what he was doing down there. He wasn't saying, get me out of here. He was saying, thank you, God, that you considered us worthy to go through this. And at midnight, an earthquake shook the place. And the prison doors fell off the hinges and everybody could have ran, but they didn't. And the jailer grabbed a sword and was about to take his life. And don't, have, don't ask me how we know all this, except that it's in the Scripture. He was going to take his life, and Paul hollers out from the middle of the prison, the jail, and he says, don't kill yourself. We're all still here. And the reason he had to say that was because as a jail keeper, if he lost people, then his life was forfeit. So he was going to take it before the Romans made it really bad. And Paul said, we're all here. And he comes down and says, what must I do to be saved? And he says, repent every one of you and be baptized. And it says the jailer and all of his family got baptized. But first, the jailer had to get some light. Bring some light. And he went down to where Paul was so he could see. There was no light. And that's where the story picks up today. And I want to I look at that because in Acts 15, verses 35 to 40, I want you to look at how this unfolds. Remember what happened. Beginning in verse 35, it says, when it was daylight. When it was daylight. You ever feel like you're in the dark? You ever feel like it's dark, I'm scared, this is awful? God, do you know we're here? God, are you aware of what's going on? And the scripture says, and when it was daylight, the Lord set the sun in the sky. And he says in the book of Ecclesiastes that the sun will, will never fail to rise and fall and rise and fall until he's done. So in light of what we go through sometimes when it feels like our lives are really dark, that sun will rise in your life again. And somebody in here needs to know that. It will not stay dark forever. The sun will come up. And when the sun came up is the way this unfolds. And when the daylight came, the magistrates sent the officers of the jail with the order. They didn't go. The magistrates didn't go. They sent the officers with the order. Release those men. And the jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you in silence be released. Now you can leave and go in peace. This is so great. I love this. But Paul said to the officers, no. That's my interpretation. No. Look at how Paul does this. Don't take my word for it ever. Open up your Bible and look at it. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial. Even though we're Roman citizens and threw us into prison, now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Right there. No. He says, 
Let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers repeated this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came, and we know they were alarmed. And it's one of those things where it's like, oh, no, we messed up really bad. Oh, what are we going to do? How do we hide this one? How do we cover it up? How do we make it go away? And we know that because look at how they approach Paul and Silas. Look at what the word says. They came, excuse me, to appease them. They came to say, uh, we're sorry, our bad, look at that. They came to appease them and escort them out. They came to take them from the prison themselves and say, please don't tell anybody we did this. Please, please, please. Because in the Roman world, as a Roman citizen, you could go anywhere in the known world, and if anybody attacked you, Rome would come and kill 10 more besides the one that somebody killed. So if somebody kills you, then Rome comes in and kills that person and their whole family, and maybe a couple of more besides, because they wanted it to be perfectly clear, you don't mess with Roman citizens. This is what will happen to you. And so they're like, oh yeah, we screwed up really bad. We just took everybody's word for it. We disrespected these men. We took them down. We beat them. You're not allowed to beat Roman citizens. Not without a trial. Oh, they, we forgot to give them a trial. Oh, we're sorry. Oh, then we put them in prison in the center of the prison. Oh, then we put them in stocks as well. Oh my, hey Paul, could you guys just be on the down low about this? And by the way, uh, could you leave? Now, why would they take them out of prison knowing that they have screwed up really bad and, and, and escort them out? The officers did this, and it says, and then request them to leave the city because they didn't want them telling anybody what had happened. Let's just keep the lid on this thing, if you don't mind. Let's just don't let people know what just took place. But Paul and Silas were like, yeah, no, not, not that either. It says, after Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house. I think we'll go to Lydia's house. I think we'll have a little something to eat. I think we'll encourage the brethren there. It says, where they met with the brothers and encouraged them, and then they left. We'll go home when we are good and ready. We will leave your city when we are good and ready. We are Roman citizens, and you just beat us and put us in jail. We will leave when we are good and ready, and you had better hope that we don't tell anybody. Not only will you lose your jailer, you will lose your jobs, if not your lives. We are Roman citizens. And that's a picture of what's going on there quietly. Isn't it crazy? Whenever we've done something that we know is wrong, we want to hide it up. We get that from Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve eat the fruit, sin, realize they're naked. God comes in. They're hiding behind fig leaves. They're hiding in the bushes. They hear God walking in the evening, the cool of the evening, and they're like, oh, he's going to find us. Oh, he knows. Where. You're the only two people on the planet. He knows where he left you. Okay? Yes, he's going to find you. No, you can't hide the fact that you're naked. Because when you were naked before, he didn't care. You're the one that cares now. And so, God. But we're always trying to cover things up and hide them. And today I want to say, sometimes we have to stand up and own what we did. And sometimes we have to stand up for ourselves and make what's happening stop. Jesus says that you and I are to love ourselves as we, excuse me, love other people as we love ourselves. Specifically, I'll get to the scripture in a minute, but just think about it for a second. Paul and Silas went 
to this place. They wanted to tell people how to get saved. The little girl testified that this is how you, these are the men that are going to tell you how to get saved. The little girl lost her ability to tell fortune. Those guys started losing money. And what is it about Christianity? As Christianity comes into play, if it's going to cost me anything, I want to dump it and run. Even Christian people. It's like, ah, I didn't want it to cost me money. Ah, I didn't want it to cost me time. Ah, I, I got people getting ready to go to Louisville and give up their lives, their salaries, and everything and start clear over with nothing because they believe that when that trumpet blows, everything they've done for the kingdom of God is going to be worth it, not the money that we can make. And so we, hit, we see this picture. Paul and, and Silas stood up for themselves, didn't they? Oh, they played that card well. They waited and held. They took a beating knowing that they were going to play that Roman citizen card. But they played it well. And they finally, when it was time for them to be gone, they could have run like, like little rabbits. But they just stood there and said, nope. Why don't you guys just, you know, walk away from your breakfast table and come down here and escort us out before we tell everybody that we're Roman citizens and you did it. We're going to wait. We're going to stand up for ourselves. We respect ourselves enough that you are going to stop what you're doing and usher us out of here. And that's what was going on. How do we love people the way we love ourselves? Well, Jesus says that commandment in Matthew 22 when a man comes up and says, what do I have to do? What's the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus says, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all um, of your mind. And in one gospel uh, account it says, and with all of your strength. That's the first and the greatest commandment. And the second one is like unto it, to love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Commandment numero uno. Number one, the greatest, the primo directive, the king of all the commandments is that you and I love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our minds. That's it. That's the first and the greatest thing. No matter where we are, love God. No matter where we go, love God. No matter who we talk to, love God. If somebody kicks us in his shin, love God and love those people. How do we love God? What does that look like for us practically? It means that we pray to God. We talk to him regularly. We're willing to sit down and spend time away from this world and just say, God, I need to be with you. I need to share some things. I need to hear from you on a regular basis. It means that we tithe. These are all things God told us to do as children of his. It means that we tithe to God. We trust him. He lets us live on 90%. We give him 10%. It means that we obey God and his commands are not a burden to us, that we love our neighbor as ourselves, that we love people by giving them a cup of cold water, that we help them, that we care for them, that we feed them. That's what it means for you and I to do. And it means that uh, we testify. When was the last time that you testified to somebody about what God is doing in your life? When was the last time you shared? And, and I'm not saying like in a super formal, wicked, uncomfortable way. It'll be inconvenient, last year's word. But um, what I am saying is when was the last time you just said, man, wow, um, I was in this setting, a small group setting, a church setting, a, a whatever, and I just felt like the Lord said, I got to change this about my life. And somebody said, what are you talking about? Boom, you just opened the door and you get to walk through it with them. Well, let me tell you about my relationship to Jesus. See? You get to do that. When was the last time you testified? It is time for you and I to stand up for God. That's what Paul and Silas were doing. They were standing up for themselves, but at the same time, they were standing up for God. It is time to let go of this world and stand up for God. Stop worrying about what people think about you and stand up for God. It is time to let go of, of maybe that seedy money or that seedy relationship or that whatever it is that's hindering you, that 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 
conviction that whatever it is, it is time to take steps that say, I am standing up for myself and for God. I need to love God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength because the second commandment is like it. Love others as you love yourself. Do you love you? Do you love you? Do you like you? The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the prophets hang on these two. How do you love yourself? You can't, you can't separate yourself and your neighbor from each other in that sentence. You're called to love your neighbor as yourself. Therefore, you're called to be in a community. And if you're in a community, then that kind of blows that meme out of the water. Wow, I can worship God on the golf course. I can worship in the canoe. I can worship on the bank of the fishing hole. I can worship. You can, but you weren't called to. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to bring it together. We're called to be together. Not to look for excuses not to be together. We're called to work together, to be on board together, to do this together. And I cannot be separated from my neighbor. I've got to love my neighbor as I love myself. And I've got to ask myself, do I love me? Do I respect me? Do I take care of me? Not like a, a, a self-absorbed narcissist who's got to have one more Rottweiler, one more fancy orange car, one more guitar, one more uh, whatever it might be. Not, not as a narcissist, not as a self-fulfilling, uh, you know, not like that. But do I love myself enough to care for myself and to take care of myself? Kind of in a healthy resting way with Jesus. Do I care enough for myself to clothe myself, to feed myself, to be a part of a family, part of a church, part of a small group, part of a circle of Christian friends? As godly, healthy Christian people, we should be seeking out community. But for some people, life is hard, it has its struggles, it's got its trials and temptations, and, and, and they're not interested in, in, in all of that. It's like, no, I just want God to fix me, fix me, fix me. Some, some people out there, they just think that loving yourself is like, you do you. I mean, in my personal opinion, nothing could be more unchristian than you do you, or you do you boo, you know? <laughs> Listen, you don't want to do you boo. What if everybody goes around and just does you? You know what I mean? I promise you, you don't want Joe Wood just going around doing Joe Wood. You want Joe Wood led by the Spirit, not by Joe Wood. No. I promise you, my wife doesn't want Joe Wood doing Joe Wood. And my wife would tell you, you don't want Joe Wood doing Joe Wood. That's narcissism. That's self-absorbed. That's just like, oh, life is all about me. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. It's like, turn the TV off. Put the Xbox controller down. You don't have to have a, I know, but it gives me peace. I, you know, we can find excuses to do what we want to do. We really can. And we can whitewash it however we want it. I'm talking about healthy. I'm talking about go sit by the lake and just be quiet. I'm talking about just listen to God and rest. Six days you shall work, and on the seventh you shall rest. Be at peace in your soul. Have fun. Enjoy life. But what is God calling us to? And we need to be aware of that. And you imagine a whole world where everybody just did whatever was them. Aren't we called to change? Aren't we called to be transformed? Aren't we called to go from glory to glory to glory? And if we expect other people coming into the church to do it, shouldn't we in the church continuing, uh, continue to be doing that? All of that can absolutely turn into self-absorption, but that's not what I'm talking about. We're called to love other people the way we love ourselves, and I think that includes respect. And I think what I want to share with you very quickly in the time that I have left is the idea of do you respect you? 
Do you love you and respect you? Do you do that? Peter said it like this. Live as free people, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Don't wash white, whitewash all of your sin and say God says it's okay. No, he doesn't. He says, I will forgive you if you will repent. But he's waiting on your repentance. He's waiting on you to come and say, Lord, this, this was not what you planned. And I did that. And I'm sorry. And he says, well, then go, maybe go pay back or go sit down and talk to somebody about it. Or, but, but there's a place there where God is saying, don't use the freedom that Christ gave you to whitewash your life and get away with whatever you want. That's not what we're called to. Do not use your, fr your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Not to the nice people, not to the good people, not to the people that love you the most, not to your family. To everyone. Respect the pe people that kick you in the shin. Respect the people that you work for. Show pop, proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. Even if you don't like him, just, just understand that we're not supposed to be getting caught up in the trappings of this world. Each one reach one. God's not trying to create a Christian nation in a geographical location on this planet. In reverent fear out of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. And let's just uh, move forward a couple of centuries, and let's just say, how can we translate that to our lives? Do good for your bosses as employees. Let's read it that way. Employees, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your boss, not only to those that are good and considerate, maybe Christian bosses, but also to those pagan, heathen bosses that are just mean and shouldn't be bosses at all. And if you don't like that boss, go ahead and quit. You don't have to stay there and complain about him or her. Move. Best time to find a job is when you've got one. It really is. But don't sit there and make everybody's life miserable. Don't be that guy. Don't be that girl. Move along. Our freedom in Christ are so that we can love, surge, uh, excuse me, love, serve, and encourage, and bless one another. Paul tells the church in Corinth, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge in flesh. Serve one another, rather, in humble, uh, humbly and in love. For the entire law is filled up in, filled, uh, fulfilled in keeping this command. <clears throat> love your neighbor as yourself, but if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. We're called to stand up for what's right, and Paul and, and, and Silas just did exactly that. We're also called to stand up and own what we've done. You know, somebody who claims not to have sinned doesn't have any forgiveness from God because they haven't sinned. Not, not because it's not there. It's because in their minds they haven't sinned, so they don't have any forgiveness. No need. There's no need. We need to recognize that we need forgiveness, that we have sinned. We've got to stand up, and we have to own it. It's mine. I did that. God, please forgive me. Now, move on. Let it go. Move on. It's behind you. We're not going that way. Move forward. But learn, grow, and change. Don't go back the same way. For the entire law is filled up in that. So what are we going to do? How are we going to respect ourselves? How are we going to care for the oppressed and the downtrodden? In your life, if you're going to love you and you're going to respect you, number one, you're going to have to set boundaries. Set boundaries in your life. Set boundaries from what the world can ask of you. Set boundaries from what your boss can ask of you. Set boundaries for how people can talk to you. 
Set boundaries. Determine what is and is not okay in relationship with you. Set boundaries in your life. You don't have to go party with those people. Set boundaries. You can show up on Sunday. Set boundaries. Most of the people in this church know that on Friday, that is date day for my wife and I. And I know that because anytime one of you calls us on Friday, you always begin it this way. <laughs> hey, I know it's date day. Sorry about that. But so you know I've got a boundary. And I will hear you clear out. And if it's not an emergency, I will say, great, call on Monday to the office. Leo will answer the phone. It'll be great. We'll set up an appointment. Because most of the time, honestly, with all due respect, it feels scary to you, but it's not really an emergency. And I'm not giving up date day because I have set a boundary that my marriage of 36 years is going to find 37, then it's going to find 38, and then it's going to find however many more the Lord will give me. But I'm going to continue to pour into it. I've set a boundary. And that's the way it needs to be. We set boundaries for our kids' um, IT time, screen time, I guess you call it, those of you that are parents now. Set boundaries. Set boundaries with where they can go. Set boundaries with what they can do. Set boundaries inside of your marriages, inside of your relationships, inside of your jobs. Set boundaries that people are not allowed to cross or break. Set boundaries with your time. Set boundaries with what it's okay for the church to ask of you. Set boundaries. Set boundaries. Prioritize. The second thing that I want to encourage you to do is expect respect. You know, people will treat you the way you let them. You know that? If you believe that you're not worth respect, people won't respect you because you won't ask respect of them. And suddenly, you'll feel like a doormat to everybody. You'll feel like you're getting used by everybody because you don't expect respect from you. Maybe you're in here and you're like, yeah, but you don't know what I've done, Pastor Joe. I don't deserve to be. Yes, you do. What you've done is not who you are. Can you get a hold of that? One thing today, what you've done is not who you are. What's been done to you is not who you are. It is what has happened. It's not your identity. Expect respect. When you go through life and you begin to expect respect and you shut people out that don't respect you and push them back metaphorically, when you do that, you will be surprised at the way that people begin to treat you and communicate with you. People will treat you the way you let them. People will use you the way you let them. People will talk to you the way you let them. If you don't like the language somebody's used, nip it right there on the spot and don't tolerate it. And every single time you nip it, they will change when they're in your presence. You deserve to be respected. How are you going to know how to respect them if you don't respect you? This is all about how you love people, not just how you love you. We're called to love people, and if we're supposed to love them the way we love ourselves, we've got to grab a hold of the idea of what does it mean to love myself. And it means you respect you, and you expect respect, but it also means you give respect. Whether they deserve it or not, you respect them. You don't have to be their friend. You don't have to live in their presence. You respect them. People will manipulate you the way you let them manipulate you. They will. Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. They went to trial, they got beaten, they were jailed, and it's all illegal. And I love this about this story, and I would encourage you to put this hook in it. They demanded respect, but they let go of the need for vengeance. 
They demanded respect from the magistrates, but they left the vengeance in God's hands. They took a beating, both of them, stripped and took a beating. They said, God, you handle that part, but we're going to demand that they respect us and come down here and walk us out. They will do that. And that's what happened. The last thing is learn to seek your own spiritual, mental, and emotional health. Spend some time in the Word. Read your Bible. Sunday's not the only time to feed yourself spiritually. Be careful who you read. Be careful who you listen to. Does it line up with Scripture or does it just say what you want? Through the week, is everything that's being spoken to you spiritually just more, more, more? Or do you hear God say, now listen, I need to talk to you. Do you feel a little swat on your spiritual diaper? You know, mm. it didn't hurt, but he caught your attention. Oh, little bump there. Sometimes that's what God's doing. And in a life where God is never correcting us, I dare say you're not walking with Jesus. You're walking with religion. Because... God punishes me sometimes because the scripture says whom the Lord loves he disciplines and I have to own that mental your mental health is important you need some quiet time you need to shut down church you need to shut down the world you need to shut down the demands on your life and you need to go somewhere and throw a, a, a fish hook in the line just don't put anything on it because you don't need the fish crossing your boundary. You need quiet time, not fish. And just sit there and be quiet. You need that quiet time. But you also might find that you need a, a counselor. That mental health is in your hands, it's important to you, then go get help. Listen, I, 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 see, I see a therapist. I just think it's a smart thing to do. I, I really do. And I'm going to say this to you, and, and, and you can email me if you want to. The only stigma that there is about me seeing a therapist is the one that I give me when I see a therapist. Because I don't care what you think. <laughs> I mean, I love you. I'm getting help. You know why? Because smart people get help. See? So the only stigma there is the one that I let get put on me. I don't have to own it. There's no stigma to mental health. There's the stigma that we let ourselves give to mental health. I know that's a tough thing to swallow, but I'm telling you, I believe that. If you need to see a therapist, go see a therapist. There's nothing wrong with that. And then what about your emotional health? You know, the scripture says the spirit of the prophet, little s, the spirit of the prophet is in the control of the prophet. You're not supposed to be just doing you, boo. Okay? You're not just supposed to be letting your emotions go wild and take you wherever they want. Well, you don't understand. I'm mad. Well, rein it in. You don't understand. I'm just so happy. Rein it in. You don't understand. I'm really anxious. Rein it in. The spirit of the prophet is in the control of the prophet. You don't have to be led around by the nose by the emotions that are inside of you. You're the being. And you may need help from a therapist to grab a hold of those emotions. That's okay. We all need help. Just don't use that as an excuse to avoid difficulty. Don't use it as a means to, to run. Be proactive. Rest. Go on vacation. 
Have a regular quiet time. Read. Journal. Do things that bring peace to your life because you can't do it all. In our scripture today, we have an example of Paul and Silas demanding respect, expecting respect, (laughs) and staying in the jail until they got respect. Did you see that? They weren't leaving. I'll sit down here and eat this gruel and talk to that guy over there, but I'm not leaving this jail until you come down here and get me out. We can go through this all you want, but when you're ready to start respecting me, we'll be able to move forward. Expect, respect, and stay there until you receive it. Do you believe that you deserve love? Do you believe that you deserve respect? And are you willing to start taking steps to where you say, no, I deserve to be respected, not manipulated, not used, not talked down to, not beat up, not pushed around, not screamed at. I deserve to be respected. I would encourage you to do that. Some of you in here are having a hard time loving yourselves. You are. And we want to pray for you today. Some of you are going through struggles today. We want to pray for you today. It is time for you to stand up for respect. Stand up for what you've done. Stand up against what's being done to you and begin to lay in some boundaries and expect respect. Let's pray. Father who is God in heaven, we thank you for being here. Holy Spirit, we just say come. We just invite you to fall upon us and overwhelm us and be our God. God, we live in a broken world. And sometimes we have a hard time believing that you love us so we don't deserve it. God, that's a lie. What's happened to us and what we've done are things. They're not our identity, God. So I pray healing upon this congregation. I pray courage for prayer. I pray courage to get up out of their seat. Say, I'm not leaving here because I love me enough and I respect me enough. I want what God has for me. Give them that courage, God. Holy Spirit, sweep into their heart. Fall upon them in a powerful way today that we might stand up for respect. In Jesus' name we pray.